Hello and welcome to Ian's Research Club, a new A&M podcast. I'm your host, Ian T. In each episode, I speak with guests from the visual arts community, as well as creative individuals from adjacent industries. Hosting this podcast is an extension of the long-form interviews I've been conducting, and a way of capturing the personal voice. I hope you find the conversations generative and enjoyable, as I know I will. Today I'm speaking to Joyce Toll, who is the Head of Exhibitions at Sea Focus Curated 2022. Previously, she was Senior Curator at the Singapore Art Museum from 2007 to 2020, where she curated exhibitions, oversaw the museum's Philippine collection and curatorial publications. Joyce is also the co-founder and Chief Creative Officer of Arto, a social discovery platform to make art physically and emotionally accessible to everyone. Joyce and I are speaking on the occasion of Sea Focus 2022, which is one of the highlight events of Singapore Art Week. And we are currently at Tanjung Palma District Park, where a curated presentation of the fair is happening. So without further ado, let's jump right into the episode. Joyce, welcome to the club. Hi Ian, it's good to be here. And um, so we just had a brief tour of the fair, and um, before we discuss the works on view in detail, I would just like to ask you about the theme for this year's edition, which is Chance Constellations. So why did you choose this theme and what does it mean in relation to Southeast Asian contemporary art? So with Chance Constellations, I wanted to, I guess, summon two ideas that are widely and broadly familiar to most of us, that being of constellations as well as chance. But in conjoining both of them, I also wanted to bring in a little bit of a twist um, and inflection or maybe a different way that we would think of them. So a constellation, I would say, is regarded widely as a recognised pattern of stars like Leo the Lion, Orion the Hunter or the Big Dipper. but I would also say that these star configurations are more than these like poetic pictures, you know, in the mm-hmm. sky, because really constellations have helped us navigate and orientate and locate our place, you know, in the world. And I think for so many centuries, you know, when sailors were charting the way unmapped seas, they would look to the sky to try and figure out yeah. to um, get them across. So, you know, I think they are something that really kind of spurred the imagination. Uh, but I think what I am also fascinated by is that when you think about constellations, right, and they seem very like, oh, we know what they're about, but they're not actually things or objects. Mm-hmm. Um, they really actually are patterns that are drawn in the sky. And these are actually then images that I would say are born of the human imagination because it's literally how you choose to join the dots that you get a constellation. So like the stars might be these fixed anchor points, but you can always redraw mm-hmm. another pattern or an image when you kind of configure um, that, I guess, the joining of the dots quite differently. So I think there was something like an idea I was very fascinated by because then if we think about it metaphorically, that is how do we constellate with each other in this region? Um, with people, with friends, with strangers. And I think this notion of connecting is quite important to us in this time with um, the pandemic going on. People feel isolated. They feel a need to connect or reconnect with us. And I think art is something that helps us to do that. So this idea about constellations and 
connecting was quite important to me. Um, and then I guess chance. Um, constellations, I think, again, sometimes are associated with sometimes like fate and destiny, mm-hmm. right? I mean, some people go like, oh, you know, what's what's your zodiac? Destiny your destiny, your destiny is written <laughs> in the stars. Um, so even if, I mean, like I said, one might take that with a pinch of salt and you may not be, say, um, in that sense, a believer in the zodiac, still the idea that what lies ahead um, is perhaps, you know, unknown. So this idea of chance is about the unforeseen and that, yeah, maybe you, you know, you might have a surprise around um, the, the turn or the corner. So I think now when you have something like chance constellations, it's kind of say that there's this idea about the unknown and the unpredictable. Uh, but for me, also about opportunity and of creation. Uh, because in a way it's saying, we can make our luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can make our fate. You know, that's again this idea about how we draw constellations. It's not random. Um, there's a ch- element of the unknown, but I think as humans and we have agency, we also have a big part to determine what you know the outcome might be. So I would say it's maybe chance constellations is in a way opportunity um, waiting to be seized, uh, and then really again with looking at this as sea focus and the contemporary art of our region is to say how do we align with others through art and in a way create our own constellation yeah. here yeah so i guess in a way these were some of these big ideas i wanted to you know just play around with but hopefully that as a theme that it will also give a spark to maybe artists who will be participating uh, and i think i was quite Delighted. I was very touched actually that a number of artists configure or reconfigure a mm-hmm. number of their works to then actually respond to the theme yeah. because I think they felt of something that it was quite interesting for them as well. Yeah, I think speaking about configuration, this is the second time that C Focus is presenting a fair and a kind of mm-hmm. hybrid model. Mm-hmm. So there's a physical curated presentation in Singapore as well as a digital showroom. But for perhaps for audiences who are able to attend the fair in person, they would notice quite a significant change in terms of like the layout. Because it's the same location, but the way that we have built stone walls have changed since the last time and the viewing experience has very much been altered this time. So could you perhaps talk a little bit about describe how the space has been utilized, your choice of this very unique um, star shape, the three point yeah, shape. The three point, yeah, sure. So our architects and designers for this fair are the same as last year. Um, this is Zach, uh, so it's going to be uh, Randy, and then we also worked with Isabel. So really the same team that came on with us last year. And we had such a great time with them last year. And what I think we really appreciated working with Zach, um, Randy, and then Isabel is that they really were... I guess as architects and designers, very understanding and sympathetic to actually what art needs to be in the space. Um, but then one of the challenges then for them coming back this year uh, was uh, Amy, the fair director, very sternly said to them, it needs to be completely different, right? And uh, we had a great experience last year with the design, um, but we want something different um, this year. So last year when we did it, um, if you had a chance to come for that, 
um, we had these walls and it was laid out in such a way uh, that it didn't actually feel like a typical art fair because there were no booths mm-hmm. um, you know and the works were hung I guess as a kind of almost as a group show and it was really by a flow and how the works would relate to one another um, so in that sense it was also interesting challenging for art galleries participating because most galleries are quite used to like you come to a fair you have your booth you set it up but in this case last year is that they really didn't know other than putting in you know their two works and then I came in then as a I guess a curator to kind of make everything I guess harmonize with each other and that would flow this year um, so again we're taking on a different design so if you're listening to this, what you imagine is that you're walking now into what would look like initially a big space, but kind of uh, placed around this space are these like Y-shaped, almost like stars. So, um, I mean, we did joke that it did kind of look like, we're like, oh, were you so inspired by the theme? But I mean, it was actually, again, a nice way to respond because these Y-shaped stars then create these little V-shapes for galleries to inhabit, you know, as well. So all these galleries now have, in a way, um, a space that's a little bit of their own. But again, it's not a typical booth because you don't walk into a booth yeah. and then exit a booth mm-hmm. so it actually feels a little bit like a maze i have to yeah. say you know you kind of weave in and out and you kind of turn around because they're not right angles anymore yes you know, what i wanted to bring up you have these very interesting lines of sight and it's not a regular pattern as well mm-hmm. the way that these y-shaped are organized so you get interesting vignettes mm-hmm. at different points where you see perhaps 70% of one booth but you have like something peeking out at the end you have a near view and a far view of what's in the space yeah Yeah. and that's exactly it so that was actually really the fun um, part of the fun I had with this exhibition but also I would say I guess the challenge is that because everything is in a way um, yeah you get different things that you see at different sites and you when you're in the space, it does feel like you are kind of meandering through. It's not one set linear path and that everywhere you turn, hopefully you're going to catch sight of something else, you know, and you can't really tell what that's going to be. So at least when I was plotting it out, when you, you know, initially plan out your exhibition on paper, of course, a big part then it turns out to be nothing at all, uh, like the space that you have. Because, yeah, like I said, this space is filled with, like I said, these constellations of yeah. these, um, like, asterisks <laughs> around. Uh, so I was then thinking about, you know, what we catch sight of, you know, is it a big work here? Is it something different here? And I think what I wanted one is that at every turn or however people moved was that there would be something a little bit surprising, something unexpected if they turned around. Uh, and again, it does feel a little bit like you're yeah, weaving in and out of the space. And I guess it's maybe an exhibition that will be quite nice to feel lost in, yeah. uh, but not in an overwhelming kind of way. And then as part of the whole thing about being lost, is that you're going to encounter different artworks along the way. Artists that maybe some are familiar with, but some that are going to be a little bit 
new or unfamiliar. I think that's maybe the experience that we were trying to have with this uh, layout in this yeah. exhibition. So speaking about the artworks, let's go into perhaps um, certain selections that you want to highlight from this year's edition. Um, perhaps we should begin at the entrance, right? Right. This, this entrance, you have works, of course you have works within the fair and you have um, some works which are in somewhat of a, like a semi-outdoor um, venue yeah. at the entrance of the fair. Yeah. So if you are coming into the fair, um, what we have right at the start are um, artworks by three quite um, diverse artists. Uh, one is a suite of wall sculptures by Singapore artist Melissa Tan. Uh, and these are then on a large grey wall. And when you know, I knew what these works were by where the theme, I said, they would be absolutely wonderful for the show because these are actually asteroids. Um, but for Melissa Tan, she was also then looking um, at the idea of the, I guess, how women have been mythologized, but sometimes of, or often regarded as monstrous figures in mythology. Um, so when you look at these uh, sculptures, and they are quite almost like crystals or metallic um, crystal forms on this wall, is that you see that there are names like Medusa, Skyla, like Callisto. So if you're familiar with some of your mythology, again, you'll kind of recognize these as um, figures, um, monstrous women in mythology, but actually these are also the name of asteroids. And that's something that was very important for, you know, Melissa, that these are actually like the trajectories and star maps. Um, and then quite next to it behind is a triptych by uh, Singapore artist Nicholas Ong. Uh, and I have sometimes described this as a party or a disco of you know a work because this is a painting in three panels and you have this really I would say exuberant colors that go on but also that Nicholas is very fascinated with painting as a kind of environment of light um, and that when you're standing in front of works is that how you perceive a work is directly affected by the light around it, you know. So when you're there, is that when light changes, your experience of the work changes yeah. as well, you know. And that's why he's got these LED lights that change because the moment a color goes, the light goes from maybe green to blue, is that the painting itself might seem I mean, the colors are fixed, yeah. but your experience of it's different because the light changes. And that's, again, what painting has been. It's been about an exploration of light, and now he's also painting with light. So you have this whole kind of um, environment going on. But for me, like I said, it's a whole party that's going on um, on this orange wall. Perhaps with Nicholas's work as well, it would be interesting because depending on the time of day that you come, if you come closer to the mm. evening when it's a bit darker, mm. the experience of the work would have been significantly different as compared to if you were to come in the day with daylight. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And again, because this is in the elevated, uh, no, sorry, in the external gallery of the fair, is that we're going to get in a way the most of the light coming in from the outdoors. Um, and that helps us a lot for another suite of absolutely delightful works by um, the Thai artist um, Thai Widget um, from Thailand. Uh, so Thai Widget is an artist or sculptor who usually works with industrial 
materials and we've got a number of uh, small sculptures here uh, but with the works that we have out here these are actually uh, pots so when you first saw the pictures we're like oh these are really charming because these are these brightly colored pots you know it's blue it's red and they've got great names like funkers like joy like reggae until we actually realized that oh actually these are pots for plants <laughs> um and then you know so the artists in our stuff is like oh can you go to the nursery and put plants in them and our exhibition team which is fantastic and fabulous all went uh we're terrible with plants you were like art people were not really gardeners and we're not sure uh, know how great we are with plants so what Ty widget did was then he found and collaborated i would actually say collaborated um, with a gardener by the name of tim from a company called cute plants world um, and so Tim got a hold of the pots and actually spent quite a lot of time actually then finding, selecting and almost like curating the right plant for each pot so that the characters match up. Um, and number of these are quite exotic, I guess, plants that maybe come from the desert. So two of them are like the trees from where we get the frankincense or the myrrh from that kind of resin. Um, and then Tim was also saying to us that one of the cactus is actually called like the zombie cactus because it looks grey all the time. But when it kind of comes together and you see them all, um, it brings such a different dimension to the pots because yeah. without them, you know, and you saw them earlier, right? Um, they would have looked like sculptures, which mm -hmm. they are, but together with the plants, it's something else right. totally together. It's a different character altogether, the kind of merger of the plant and the pot. And when we were looking at the work previously, we also kind of talked about not just the process of the collaboration with the works being displayed here, but also the idea that um, it, the way the plants are selected is not just on a purely visual basis, the, the shape or the, the way that the plant the stem of the plant, the, the shape of the plant mm -hmm. itself, but also that you need specific um, plants because of the space um, that's held in the vessel mm. for the roots to grow. So on one hand, there's a responsibility to the pot, but you also need to take care of the living plant that is being um, housed in this new home, right? Yeah. So I guess it's an instance where you have, you know, the, the artwork, which is the pot, which is now still very much a work of art but it's also now the host and the home yeah. for a living organism which is you know i mean nature's art in itself yeah. right um and you know bonsai a kind of art form so i think this was quite a beautiful collaboration which we didn't expect you know again at the start so that's something that's right out there in the front gallery and i think something that is perhaps a little bit different and just brings a kind of life, I think, to the works as well. Yeah, yeah. I think perhaps the next, it would be a good mm. point to talk about the next one that you want to highlight, which also evokes the form of a whole. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and that's um, a very, I guess, oh, yes, it does evoke home, but in a very different way. This is a very big nine-piece uh, suite of works by the Malaysian artist Nadia Bamapanj. Uh, the title is interesting. It's Pessimism is optimistic tree. So what these uh, nine pieces are, is quite a large work. So it, is, it measures 
3.5 meters in height in total and 4.5 meters across. So you can imagine standing back is that, you know, it is something that really is going to grab your attention. Uh, but there's a lot of detail in this work too. So what this work does, and Nadia here is working in very much a signature collage style. Um, so if you're a little bit familiar with Nadia's, pra Nadia's practice, is that she will collage or she rather stain the paper with um, charcoal and there's kind of lots of variations of grey in the paper and then she'll tear the paper and then she'll collage it and then she'll start to form like the image um, whatever image that might be so in this case these are all then uh, images of something that's called the chungkuk I hope I'm not mispronouncing it but it's a kind of architectural structure that you find in a certain part of Java and it's kind of looking like a roof um, of a home so when you look at these images here they look like roofs and some of them are starting to um, break down from maybe disrepair but when you actually realize that these chungkuks are actually like the structures that actually would cover the grave um, the graves of you know people have passed on is actually then you realize they're actually quite small um, because they would be only large enough to cover the space of one you know um, graveyard so it's a work that i think is quite poignant uh, because on the one hand it is maybe referencing vernacular architecture that's very unique in this area and nadia's Bamahaj uh, speaks about how for her it's also a representation of a kind of subjugation of the human form because it's so small that it's the space that can only take one person. It's like a home uh, or structure that can almost fit only one person in a kind of squatting yeah. compact position. So there's something maybe quite sad or abject about that. Um, but for me, another way to look at it is perhaps maybe what we also yearn for in a final resting place, right? It's this idea of home. Either you still want a roof, yeah. you know, over your head. So maybe something quite universal about that human longing um, for rest. Yeah. yeah. And I think um, you mentioned previously that there are a couple of artists who would be showing works for the first time mm -hmm. in Singapore at Sea Focus 2022. Mm -hmm. So maybe let's talk about a few of them. Yeah, I'm very excited too. Um, one of these is the artist Sawa Wongse Yangwei. Um, I will try and be precise and say that he's not a Myanmar is artist. Sometimes he's been described as an artist from Burma, but I think for himself he would say that he is an artist um, from the Shan state, um, but very much an artist that has been working um, abroad in Europe uh, for many years now because he's got a very interesting biography in the sense that um, his family um, is actually considered um, a royal family from the Shan state so very much uh, his grandfather and I guess his family were in positions of leadership um, and government until they were uh, disposed in a coup and that's why Sawa Wongse himself has lived abroad for so long. Um, so many of his works are then um, very, I would say, social political. They take on the subject of what's happening uh, back in his home country. Um, and also then, uh, you, so you see figures like, say, Aung San or U Rashid or U Nu. So these are all figures who, 
I would say are prominent in the history of you know Burma as well. Uh, and Sir Wong say, if you have had, I guess, a chance to meet or talk to him, it's also a very fascinating character because he's on the one hand very openly vocal and critical about, say, political, um, the political situation, but he's also quite a trickster, yeah. uh, a bit like a joker. And sometimes he just, you know, when he's talking, he's so entertaining, he's so flamboyant, but you're just never quite sure where he's coming from or whether or not to take what he's saying you know I guess you just take it with a pinch of salt but anyway for this uh, edition of Sea Focus we're very excited because this is the first time that um, he's showing here also an artist from Cambodia K. Samnang um, who would be I think fairly I think well known I guess for many of us who are familiar with Southeast Asian art. I think yeah. for this work, he has an installation at the National Gallery right now as part of the Children's Biennale, mm. if I'm not mistaken, where um, mm. some of the um, Ratan masks yeah. that appear, that featured in the photographs that he's presenting at the fair are also presented at the National Gallery. So you see the actual kind of the mask. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that's right. So, okay, Samnang with this work here, these are two prints uh, called uh, Pre Kun Long, which is the way of the spirit. Um, and so, he was really with this suite of works, which was um, part of a two video installation, and then he's gone on to create other works coming mm -hmm. up from that. Um, was that he was trying to evolve. I think invoke the animist tradition um, in the with a particular indigenous group in the southern part of Cambodia um, to kind of articulate I think a lot of the concerns with what was happening with the environment there because there were I think plans to build a very big dam um, which will, I think was I guess as we know as dam goes, it can be a very fraught enterprise because it brings about electricity and power but there's a, a, a huge cost to the environment as well. So with this is that he immersed himself with this particular indigenous group and that's where the mask you know come in because the animist belief is that there's oftentimes says that you are summoning the powers of animal spirits of gods and so with this is that you have the monkey, you have the crocodile, um, and it's kind of again the power of the spirit world. And I think master, I think it's something that's also very interesting, you know, because we play with it, it changes your identity, it hides your identity. There's so much that we can do, you know, with Mars, and I think that's something that he uses in a very powerful way in this particular work. And I think uh, the other really interesting work that we looked at is actually by Tammy. Mm, that's right. So Tammy Nguyen uh, is, an, I guess, a number of what you consider like artists who might be either... Well, she's not really, really diaspora emigration. She's of Vietnamese um, background, but I understand she uh, was born and grew up in the States. But I think still, I think her Vietnamese background very much informs the way her art practice has shaped. So in this uh, series of paintings that uh, she's showing here, and this is coming from Tropical Futures Institute, um, Tammy's got four paintings, uh, which I'll read out the titles because they're quite interesting. It's Commander of the Sea, Cho Anai, Commander of Space, Gamal Abdel Nasser, Commander of Air, Jawaharlal Nehru, and Commander of You, 
Carlos Pena Romulo. So for people who might be, say, history buffs, especially of Southeast Asia, uh, these names would be, I think, familiar not just as, say, um, historical figures of figures of authority, but because these were all uh, a number of uh, figures who attended the 1955 Bandung Conference. Uh, and that Bandung Conference was a very, I would say, symbolic and important meeting point that happened because it brought together both Asian and African leaders mm. as what was called the non-alignment movement, yeah. right? Um, so it was both, I guess, utopian in some ways because it was envisaging um, a world that was perhaps away from the colonial um, kind of imaging of what the world was. But I guess as utopian enterprises go, is that the failed utopia or failed ideals are often an outcome of that as well. But um, despite the kind of very heavy baggage associated with this um, subject matter, the way that the, the work is painted is much more, gives a very different character, right? Because mm. I think if you were to imagine how the work was just purely based on what you've spoken so far, you might think it's a very serious portrait, mm. perhaps um, from an archival image. Correct, because like it's heavy, right? And it's true, they are from these um, archival images. Yeah. But the style that it's painted, perhaps uh, we would kind of describe it as looking much more graphic. Mm. It looks like it could be something that printed on a stamp mm. that you would use mm. and the interesting bit that we have also mentioned is that it's not just paint that's being used on the surface but also gold leaf mm. and different kind of like metallic foils and stuff like that and the, the, they come in the shapes of um, military kind of um, warships yeah. like fighter jets um, Missile. Missile. So just the thing, when you look at these four, I guess if one would call them portraits, um, and they're not very large um, at all. Uh, but when you look at them up close, there's so much that's going on in them. So on the first level, you might see more obviously, say, that particular figure that's portrait, whether it's Cho and Lai or say like Nehru. But when you look at the details, they all open up something quite different. So the colours of the paintings themselves are quite, I would say, almost like lovely and idyllic. Like they're almost kind of conjuring up like the tropical ideal. You know, you have these like lovely greens, the blues, a little bit of the gold. So it's almost like you are in a tropical paradise, which is, I think, how sometimes, you know, South Seas or Southeast Asia has been romanticized yeah. before by you know European artists. So the feeling of that is actually in the graphic imagery in itself, the way she uses the colors. Yeah, but the plants, the climbing, yeah. Mosquitoes. Mosquitoes, <laughs> oh, of course, because when the tropics, there's always mosquitoes, right? You can't get away from that. But then again, then you look at up close, you see like these little shimmering kinds of um, like elements in the painting and then we see like oh they're actually um, made out of gold silver leaf um, but actually they are all there in the shapes of military um, warcraft so you get like the helicopter you get the the tank you get the missile bomb so it brings maybe a more sinister element of military and warfare um, and its place in maybe envisaging even what 
the utopian utopian future and present might yeah. be. But and yet because they're kind of created in this such delicate kind of material, um, it's just such a maybe unexpected kind of juxtaposition. So I would say it's a very layered work that like with many works that use this form of either collage of different materials, is that all the materials bring a kind of meaning to it. Um, and speaking of material, maybe I'll be a little bit cheeky and turn um, the conversation now to um, another artist um, who does use material um, fabric in quite an interesting way. So Ian, <laughs> who is also an artist in uh, feature in this exhibition, uh, maybe you would like share with us a little bit more about your work, which is the fire blanket. Yeah, so it comes from a series that's titled Fire Blankets, and um, the work that we have in the fair is a children-sized blanket. So the works come in two formats: mm. a, a larger full-size adult blanket, which is in a square form that's roughly one eighty by one eighty. Mm. But the work that we have at the fair is a children-sized blanket, so it comes in like. A, about 120 by 120, slightly larger than that. Yeah, and uh, the title Fire Blanket is actually is a reference to the material that's being used as a lining. So when you look at the work, it looks like a patchwork quilt mm. on the surface with um, clothes, warm clothes, textiles, bedding. But at the same time, you see this white background peeking through and that's actually uh, woven fiberglass mm. that's, uh, that can be used as a protective material. So a fire blanket is something that you could use to put out fires with mm. or something that you could wrap your body with as you escape from the fire. So it's a material that is a protective material and it's a material that connotes these sort of industrial connotations. Mm. The idea of protection is very important to me with this mm. series of works. And that's actually what clothes do, right? Because they protect the body. Um, and, you know, if you were to look at this work, then that's quite interesting because quite central is then a child's jumper. Um, so it's got a very distinctive pattern because of how Ian actually cut it. So like the shape of that jumper is quite, you know, distinctive yeah. there. Um, and actually the quilt is a very, I would say, interesting, powerful form of fabric kind of collage because every material brings in, it's not just textile, um, it's textile and every textile has got a different weight, a different feeling, not just how it looks. So some of the textile here has got the rainbow colours, another textile looks like it's bleached, some of it's heavy, some of it's, like I said, like the child's job is actually like... Um, you can see the pattern of it to fit the human yeah. body. And there's even like an embroidery of little dinosaurs. Yes, yes, the dinosaurs. <laughs> I was looking at the dinosaurs earlier on and like they're so, in a way, I guess charming and they obviously say that yes, it's a child's cause because you know, they've got little um, dinosaurs. But then when you think, you bring it together with the other materials in this composition, yeah. uh, the connotations change entirely. And I think I like that you use the word composition because there are two meanings to it. So on one hand, uh, in art terms, composition mm. is the kind of laying out of forms, lines, texture mm. to create an image. But at the same time, if you think about composition in relation to clothing, it is the, the material that your garment is made out of, right? like 100% cotton yeah. t-shirt, uh, yeah. uh, you know, a polyester mm. curtain. So 
what the material is being made out of. I like that idea that the word composition both refers to the form and but it's also, being yes. yes. And I think when you look at the work in person, you relate to it much more on that second level. Mm. Where because you have all these intimate experiences as someone who uses clothing, who mm. has slept on a bed before, or you carry a backpack mm. that has these sort of polyester webbing that might be used as a shirt around the edges. Mm. So there is everyone is familiar with these things. You don't really need to explain them. And I like that mm. aspect to the material of that textile. Mm. Yeah. People bring with them their own experiences and their own connotations of hope. I know this is worn by this sort of person, mm. but the way these fragments come together in a composition, it's a almost like an impossible combination in the sense that you would never experience all these elements on one person. So ah, it's not a of course, yeah. Of a person, yeah, mm. that is also very important. I think. Mm. And I think that brings another interesting part of all of this that we're talking about, which is we're seeing with this um, exhibition is part of it is that, you know, you see it is the, when you come here, you can see the physical works and materiality figures in such a big way. In many of these, we have such unusual materials, you know, polymer clay, you have, well, we spoke about plants earlier. Um, but also part of that is actually then the tactile. Yeah. You know, um, how it feels and how it rests against your skin, which is then when you work with fabric, you bring to it a different memory to it. So you might be seeing the fabric, but when you wear that fabric, you know, whether it's the kind of the shinier kind of thing of the protective, um, the, the kind of protective gear or like the cotton or if it's a blanket, then usually something it's more comfortable. So it all that even feels against your skin and your memory of that tactile I think it's actually part of the sensual experience of then what actually art is so it's like in one way sometimes we might see it with our eyes and I guess if you're listening to this podcast you might be imagining um, what it's it looks like but so much of the experience of art is actually then um, the sensual experience in other ways so you go like actually the the touch of it, yes. the feel of it. But also the, the sense of the experience in relation to your own body mm. is something that is kind of lost when you look at it through a screen mm. because it's mediated by the size of the screen that you're looking at. You don't mm. get that really sense of, kind of embodied experience mm. in relation to your own body. And I think um, that's also another reason why we encourage people who are in Singapore to come by and experience yeah. the works for themselves. Yeah, yeah. I know it's the whole embodied, I guess, experience that. I mean, we love. I mean, the digital was a very big part of art now. But I think if you can, you know, please come down and see the exhibition because that embodied viewing is something that only you, as that particular person, I think, can experience. And I was teasing or uh, playing around a little bit in earlier with one of the works, um, which we hung it in a slightly different way, which is not very obvious, but when you're standing in front of it, your body has to shift slightly in order to experience this work. And that's what we talk about embodied viewing, because you're located in a certain way, you're of a certain height, you have to crane your neck a certain way, and that's how then you actually take in the whole sensorial experience of, you know, but seeing But also the experience of walking through the fair this year, which I feel is very different, mm. even if you have like an OVR, you know, like mm. a sketch up, 
I think it's very different because I think you, especially with this iteration, with these different lines of sight that you have created with the partitions, that it's not going to be the same looking at it to a screen or to a camera or someone carrying it. Just you don't get that little moments where you have those things aligning yeah. or that little unexpected texture coming through from the background, which is only something that you can experience here. Yeah, it's kind of different when you look at it through the screen, mm. even if it's a three D kind of walkthrough of the fair, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, tell me. I think it's going to be a nightmare when I start doing tours of the exhibition because I'm sure I'm going to lose people. But, <laughs> but that's a happy. Yeah. And being lost is very important. That you yeah. mentioned. Yeah. Mm. Maybe let's talk about another work which is not on one of these Y shaped walls. It's mm. on one of the normal walls, but it's a really large painting, mm. and uh, it's also a work which. Should be viewed in person because you get this little relief that maybe have been lost if it's a flat image. Mm. I'm talking about the Aryan scenarios work. Yeah, yeah. Galian. Yeah. So this is also um a long walk that is you know on uh one of our perimeter walls. So Aryan is an Indonesian artist who's um known very much for working with resin. So resin is a very I guess industrial kind of material. Well, it's used today, but actually resin is also what we know otherwise as the sap from you know a tree that entombs your insects in, right? And it's so resin is. But I guess when it's used in an industrial way, um, it's kind of got this quality for being you know very shiny, very beautiful. But Aaron has been exploring this. Um, in a way, he's making sculpture, but he's been exploring in a way the painterly qualities um, of this industrial material. So he works with the splashes and you know the unpredictability of you know when you splash different resins together, what are you going to get? Um, and he also at for a number of works incorporated the ash from the eruption of of Mount Erapi. So that brought that eruption was something that affected. I think him very closely, and then working with the ashes, it brought a particular coloration, you know, for that suite of works. So for this particular one, which is a long triptych work, he was working much more with metallic kind of colors. Um, and when you kind of look at it up close, it's that you'll see that it's actually not flat at all, right? Because the pieces actually fold onto each other a little bit, like. Um, Again, a bit like a collage, so it's a little bit like a two D work that becomes three D, and then it folds in again on itself. So it's got quite a lot of texture, and it's got this like unexpected depth to it, you know, as well. I think because I, I, it's, I think for me, it's the first time I've seen a work by Marin that mm. has this sort of relief. Usually, it's extremely smooth mm. and extremely mm. flat because the resin, yeah. the resin just coats the surface very evenly. Mm. It flows to the edges. That's it. But this time, you have these folds and this the way that the composition kind of folds into itself. You have these stains mm. almost. It's a very, very different work by him, and I think I was very surprised to see it because from the images it looks flat. Yeah. In person, it's a totally different work. Yeah, and I think it's almost impossible to photograph this work in a way that captures you know all that depth and that texture because the way of that resin looks at that it does kind of as an image flatten out you know yeah. as a photograph. So when you go up close and go like oh you know that 
something of the work you know reveals itself. Yeah, the, the, the material is so matte and so yeah. the, the almost satiny. Satiny finish and it often looks slick like what you know resin you know is often mm. the case to be. Yeah, and I think perhaps uh, for the audience who are not <laughs> able to visit the fair. <laughs> Unfortunately, what are the sort of digital programs can can they look forward to? So a big part, I guess, what we have in this fair um are going to be the S NFT some of the NFT works. Um, so these are not actually in a digital program, but I guess if some of these NFT works is that the number the artists are also going to be on platforms like. You know, like OpenSea um, or SuperRare, so you'll be able to see their works there as well. Uh, we will actually also be having, I guess, the online component of the exhibition, uh, both on the website as well as Artsy. Uh, and then, oh, the 3D experience of the fair. Um, so the fair has been shot, um, I guess, in three dimensions. So you'll actually be able to see uh, pretty much everything as you would um, if you came here but I sometimes say these 3D experiences are like perfect if you're a gamer um, because you then kind of know how to kind of navigate your way through I think ultimately it's a simulation mm. and it's an interesting other dimension and that's something that viewers online will be able to do um, and yeah kind of go in a 3D way and then the window will pop up and then you get to see and get you know more information about the work. Um, another program that we're running, uh, well this is uh, the a screening program at Projector X, so Projector, that great indie cinema space has come on as our uh, program partner. So we're doing a suite, okay, four suites of artists, videos and films together with them um, and that's in a screening program. Um, although sorry if you are not able to be in Singapore, um, that is still something that you have to kind of see physically in the cinema yourself. But I guess if you're not able to be physically here in Singapore, you know, please still check out the 3D exhibition of Trans Constellations. Yeah, and I think um, with Singapore art mm. happening around the island, mm. I think this year is particularly um, different because it's the 10th anniversary mm. and it's, a, it's happening on a larger scale, mm. much larger than ever mm. before. And I think it's a question I have for you to round things off mm. to end the episode on is that, uh, you know, you're someone who has had more than like 20 years of experience mm. you know, in the arts and culture sector, working in different capacities, both at uh, an institutional level mm. at the National Museum, at the National Museum, and also at auction houses, mm. non-profits, very different kind of roles. And I'm wondering, as we look ahead, uh, what is one thing that you are cautious about and one thing that you are encouraged by? I would say it is the same thing because that's usually how, what it, um, our responses are. And I'm going to say it, it is the both dreaded and beloved and reviled uh, phrase at the moment, NFTs. Um, and the reason I say is NFTs, um, and NFTs, I think most in the audience would know what they are now, you know, non-fungible tokens, it really has um, exploded and, you know, in the last year or so, in big part because um, of the pandemic and so much more of life was happening online. Um, there's a lot of skepticism around NFTs, mm -hmm. um, justifiably so, but the reason I'm both perhaps cautious and excited by it is that 
I've seen NFTs as genuinely as a disruption in the field of art and as well, I guess, in other fields as well. Um, and if I should be very candid, I haven't seen disruptions happen like this in art for a very long time. Um, I mean, sure, we've had, you know, great, you know, maybe like uh, developments in art, trends, we've got, you know, always exciting developments, but nothing that seems to have shaken um, people and kind of garnered such strong reactions um, on both sides. Um, and then for many, many artists, also actually opening up a lot of new possibilities. So on the one hand, there is reason to maybe be cautious because as with anything new, is that the dust is still settling and there's a lot of speculation around it. Um, it is interesting because in NFTs, you also see the huge, or rather you see the coming together with a lot of freaking big money in crypto um, finance. Um, in blockchain technology and then with art you know as well you have crypto artists and then you also maybe have artists working in what one might even say traditional contemporary art moving into that digital side um, but like I said what it has done is that I think it's just made a lot of people not just in art but in the general public certainly have attention on something that's happening in the art space and just asking what the heck is going on here? Um, that for me is always interesting because if I were to be very candid, I think a lot of times we in the art community, art world, we might see things that we think are very exciting, but it doesn't really have much of an impact for people who are not in art. You know, it's something that happens in our world. We're like, oh, well, this is so exciting, but it's very separate. It doesn't have that, again, impact people in the non-art world. This, what has happened with NFTs, has. It has people talking, it has people curious. Yes. So I think for that, like I said, because it's a disruption, disruptions are always going to cut both ways. It's going to be great for some, it's going to be terrible for some. The way I guess I see it is I see it really as um, an art, a brand new art medium that is shaking things up. Um, so not so much maybe from the speculative side, I think that's its own kind of party going on. But if we look at it as an art medium, then I think it's genuinely interesting. Um, some of the art may be, maybe I would still say feeling new at this point, it's not just got that maturity, because the artists are coming to terms with what is it, to use this as a medium. Um, but it's happening so fast, it's moving very fast. Um, you know, it's you have also got things like GANs now, generative adversarial networks. Fine, mm. we're going to see a lot more. I think AI coming into the art space. So I think for someone who's been in this field, that is something that's interesting to me. And it just actually says that art is going to keep moving because contemporary art reflects what's going on in the real world. Um, Part of me, as someone in the field, I always love, in some ways, the con the traditional, physical, sensual art that you can look, touch, sniff, feel, and I love the presence of the physical world. And I think that is also not going to change. Part of us living more in the digital world is that there 
also going to spur the counter reaction is that the physical actually becomes or has as even greater in value, yeah. right? That's the counter reaction. Um, but again, as someone who's been in the space, I think what's going to happen in the digital space is definitely going to be interesting. It's a new medium, it's a new tool, it's new processes. Um, uh, it's, it is going to be its own world. Yes, there's a lot of hype um, around it, so we don't know what's going to be happening. Mm. But, you know, I guess we just take in the spirit of contemporary art, right? You know, you just go with it and you just see what's going to happen and then um, and it, it is unpredictable. That's the chance of it. <laughs> it is the unknown, it's the unpredictable. Um, and I guess part of it is, you know, the adventure, if you can ride along with that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Joyce. I think it's a brilliant note to end the episode on. Yeah, thank you so much, you know, Ian. It's been, you know, just great, you know, chatting with you. I hope you, you know, enjoyed the exhibition and I hope that, you know, people listening to this podcast will be able to come and, you know, uh, see it too. There's, you know, like I said, um, wonderful art is still happening during challenging times. Um, and I think, like I said, this is a chance for people to come and view it and experience it. And to reconnect. And reconnect, and reconnect, not just with the art, but to for us to reconnect with each another. Like, we did even today, connecting with each other, just sitting you know, yeah. here talking. Right. Thank you, Joyce. Thank you, Ian. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Ian's Research Club, another market podcast. If you like what you heard, subscribe to stay updated when new episodes drop. You can find the podcast by searching Ian's Research Club on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Do rate and review us as it helps others discover the show. For images of the artworks and exhibitions discussed, visit the ANM website. Our URL is www.artandmarket.net. Follow ANM on Instagram and Facebook for more specialist content on Southeast Asian art. Till next time, bye!